The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. called Ship Shape. Somebody say Ship Shape. And we've been talking about the ships that shape us as Christians, the ships that shape us as a church. And when I say ships, I'm not talking about a literal ship. I'm talking about these words that have ship in them and how important they are to us moving ahead in what God has for us. Now we're in week six of the series. Next week is the final week of the series. When you get to week six of a series like this, it's a, it's a lot when you got to recap at the beginning. It's a lot. But it's important that we recap because, you know, we've been building each week one thing on top of another. What I want to build on today is what we built on last week. So it's important that we recap. And yet I also know it can be a point in the service where it's kind of easy to check out, you know, because some of you have heard this stuff. And so you can check out. So I thought this week, you know what, I'm going to change it up a little bit. So I, I got with our video team and, uh, and we put together a little video to help us to recap. So check out the screen. You're ready. You look good. What's happening? Hey, sit down. I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain. David, what we're doing here is um, we're in week six of the series. And, you know, when you get to week six of a series, you still got to recap what, where we've been. It's a lot. Like, it's a yeah. lot to recap. And I think it's one of those places in the service where people can kind of check out. And I didn't want people checking out. <laughs> yeah. And we've been talking about these sales that we raise as a church that help us to move ahead into what... God has for us, what He's called us to do. And so I thought, what better way to recap than to invite some of our staff members who've been here throughout the series to help us recap. They have had no idea this was coming. I know you're working kids, so you might not always make it in. No, we've been busy in kids. Yeah, but you listen to podcasts, so you're good. You always make sure that on Monday you listen right away and you're on the same page as your pastor in the church. Week one. Hey, do you remember what we talked about in week one? Does that does it ring a bell? You go back. Week one of this series, we talked about citizenship. Can you let everybody know what citizenship yep. is all about? Yep. You are not a citizen of, of earth. We're a citizen of heaven. Yes. Dual citizenship, mm-hmm. really. And so what do you do as a citizen of heaven? What's your job? <laughs> to, to, uh, to make sure that other people are going to be citizens. Yes. Good job. Being a citizen of heaven means that you go and you make more citizens. That's good. We talked about worship, or actually my wife Sarah talked about worship. Can you give me kind of a, for those that were here, give them kind of a quick uh, version of what that was all about. Okay, I I really enjoyed this message because she kind of reframed worship for us. Worship isn't necessarily Love Express, although that's a part of it, but there's a deeper place we want to go. Do you remember what that was? No. It was, did you? (laughs) (laughs) She said it is. Kingdomship. Yes. Express. Kingship. Kingship Express. Express. Yes. Kingship Express. That was my big takeaway yeah. from that one. Good. Okay. Uh, week three of the series, we talked about discipleship. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Discipleship. Yeah. Our job is to make disciples. Yes. And 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 so, what can you give a little bit more insight into, into what that looks like? Um, discipleship is. I'll say this. Maybe this rings a bell. We talked about Jesus being a rabbi. And how he invites the disciples to follow him, mm-hmm. and to follow him means he wants them to follow him closely. closely yes. Yeah. <laughs> follow him right next to him. Yeah. You can just finish the last word of my sentence. That's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> I meant like 
a very intentional following. Yeah. Um, like to where there's dust on you from your rabbi. Yes. And so being that close to Jesus and following him in that way. The next one is about the family. Remember this one? Fellowship. We talked about yes. building the family. Yes, being in the this family is our God. birthday. We talked about how uh, one of our values is we want to build the family. And so Jesus came to fix a problem. You remember what that problem was? Um, Jesus came to fix. Here's the thing is that God didn't come to solve a sin problem. The problem was the fact that we had to disconnect from God. So Jesus came to fix, you know, to do the, the sin thing, die for our sins, so that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Boom. You talked last week about ownership. Yes. Recap that for us. Yeah. What was your main what was your main thing you want people to take home? Owning like you own your problem so that you can get freedom from it. Does yeah. That make sense? Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. And we looked at how um, kind of like the children of Israel being led into the promised land, that was like the freedom God wanted to invite, invite them into. That was something God will not force us into. He's not gonna make you choose freedom, but he'll always offer it, he'll always make it available, and it's on us to own it. So we gotta take ownership. Yeah, thank you. Boom. <laughs> I would love to leave right now, but uh, it's all my right. job, so. you. you did a great job. I appreciate I think, it. I Thanks for embarrassing me. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, that's all I need, thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for your help. I appreciate it. I think we can learn a few things from that. Yeah, give him a hand. A couple things I think you could take home from that is uh, it's important to take notes when you're at church. I think it's also important that you listen to the messages several times because I bet you if I went around this room, many of you have been here throughout the series, but if I came back and said, hey, what did we talk about? You may not remember, so it's important. You know, when I, when I find a good message, I'll listen to it five or six times because I want to meditate on the Word. I want to get it down deep inside my bones. So I encourage you, get out your notebooks, get out your, your phones and take notes with me this morning. Get out the New Song app. You can follow along. And uh, we're going to continue this series talking about the ships that shape us by talking about stewardship. Somebody say stewardship. stewardship. And I'm actually not going to really talk about that word much until the end of the message. Uh, I'll, I'll explain what stewardship really means, but really what we're going to be looking at today is what it means to live a generous life. How many of you would agree that we serve a generous God this morning? If that's you, lift up your hand. We serve a generous God. Jesus is generous. Jesus laid down his life. He gave his life. No greater love is there than that, that you would lay down your life. That's what Jesus did for us. And so as disciples of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're trying to make here. We want to develop disciples. Uh, if Jesus was generous, then we need to be generous. We need to learn how to, how to live a generous life. So I want to talk to you today about what it looks like to live a generous life, to be generous in all areas of your life. And, and just so you know, that includes your finances. We are going to talk about money a little bit today. Uh, but we're going to talk about a lot of different areas because how many of you know there should be no areas of our life that are off limits to God? Can I get an amen? Yeah. God's been so good to us. There's no area that we should say, God, you can have it all except for my wallet. You can, ha you can have it all except for that. So we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke and, and, and mess with you a little bit today. I hope you're okay with that. If you're not, you don't have to see me for another six days. So <laughs> we'll be good. We'll be good. I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about this message. I was kind of reminded of like when you go to the doctor to get a physical. Anybody ever had a physical in here? Lift up your hand if you ever had a physical before. It's an interesting deal, isn't it? 
You, know, you go in and, and you go into the waiting room and you wait and then they take you into another room and you, and you sit down on that little crinkly paper. You guys know what I'm talking about? And then the doctor comes in, starts asking you questions. And, and then the doctor kind of starts messing with you a little bit. Like, you know, asking you to move stuff and bend things and, and they poke at you. And, and as they're poking and kind of prodding at you, if they find an area, like they're poking and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, ah, I don't know about that. Like they'll go, oh, does that hurt? And, and, and they'll say, hey, if that hurts, we probably need to look into that a little bit because that's not supposed to hurt. If that's hurting, that means that something is wrong, something is off, something is not as it should be because that's not supposed to hurt. Listen, today, as I talk to you about what the Bible has to say about generosity, if you find yourself going, ooh, that, that kind of hurts, that doesn't feel so good, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Listen, it's not supposed to hurt. It's not supposed to hurt. And if it does hurt... It's because something is off. Yeah. It's because something is wrong. Something needs to be fixed. You know, when you go to the doctor and they're, they're poking at you a little bit and they find that area of pain, that's not the doctor's fault. Like, they're, they're not, like, intentionally hurting you. They're helping you locate the problem so that the problem can get fixed. Can I get an amen? Yes. In the same way, listen, if I'm poking at some stuff today and messing with some stuff today and you find some pain, listen, it's not, it's not me. It's not God that's wrong here. And so what we need to do is we need to have a heart that's willing to submit to God, the great physician, and allow him to show us areas where we may be just a little bit off. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray and then let's dig into this a little bit. Lord, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word. And like that song said today, I just have to say thank you. You're so good. You've been so faithful. You've, you've come through for me and for so many in this room, so many times. We know your presence is here today as we get ready to open up your word and look at what you have to say. I, I just pray that our hearts would be open to what you're saying, that our, our lives would be open to what you're doing and, and what our role is in what you're doing. I pray that the, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we leave today different than how we came in. We want to grow. We want more. We don't want to just go to church and go through the motions. We want to be who you've called us to be. So, Lord, I, I, I ask that what we don't know, you would teach us. What we have not, please give us. What we are not, Lord, please make us. And we're careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for all that you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 6, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You, you, maybe you've heard somebody say before, you reap what you sow. You know, that's not, just so you know, that's not a world idea. It's actually a God idea. At the, at the very beginning when God created, he, he created a law. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. That, that when you sow something, you're going to reap back from it. You're going to reap back in a greater measure. This is a God idea. Each, each of you, look at this, verse 7, each of you should give. Notice that this call to give is not something that's just reserved for certain people. Like there's not some people that have the gift of giving, but you don't, and so you're excused from this. No, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're called to live a generous life. We're all called to this. You cannot detach this from who you are as a fully formed follower of Jesus Christ. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Notice there's, there's some intentionality. There's a decision that has to be made related to giving. Not reluctantly or under compulsion... For God loves a cheerful giver. If you've got a physical Bible with you, I want you to highlight that, circle that, underline that. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Put a smiley face by it. Draw a stick figure with a ponytail by it. Do whatever you got to do. Highlight that in your Bible. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Notice that there's a blessing attached to be a person who lives a generous life. So that in all things, at all times. Somebody say all. all. Are you with me this morning, church? In all things, at all times. In all things, at all times. That means even when things are bad in the world, at all times, God can take care of you. That means even when there's a downturn in the economy, God can take care of you. That means that even when COVID-19 hits, that God can take care of you. At all times, in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's some good work that God wants to do through your life. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now look at this, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, this is talking about God, he's the supplier, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and it will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Listen, that's what God wants to do in your life. God's best for you is not that you're just barely getting by, that you don't have enough. God wants to bless you in such a way that you can be a blessing to the world, that you can enrich other people's lives, that you can help other people. Listen, this is what we're talking about in this series. It's raising these sails and, and doing what we can to, to come into agreement and alignment with what God's will is so that now we can capture the power of God, the wind of God, the breath of God to move us ahead in what God's called us to. God wants to bless you in such a way so you can, you can be a blessing to the world around you. That's what God's called you to. I don't know about you, but I, I want that. I don't want to just be bound by my talent and my, my hustle and my grind. Listen, I'm going to hustle and I'm going to grind and I'm going to, I'm going to use the gifts God has given me, but I need God to come and breathe on those things so that I can do more than what I could ever do on my own. Can I get an amen? amen. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. When occasions occur for generosity, you can move, you can react. And through us, your generosity will result and thanksgiving to God. Notice that through your generosity, people see God. God is on display. Now, there's so much in this verse, and we're going to unpack a lot of this today. But one of the things I want to I highlight right off the bat is what it says in verse 7. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, it's interesting. When you study the Bible, you're going to discover, discover that the Bible has a lot to say about what about what God loves. And, and most of the time when it talks about what God loves, it's referring to the people God loves. And, and just so you know, God loves all people. He loves sinners. He loves Christians. The Bible says the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. what does it say? For God so loved the world, the world, the world is all. He loved the world that he gave his only son. So, so God's love typically in the Bible, when it talks about the love of God, what we hear about the love of God is it's for people. There's a few verses in the Bible that speak to specific things that Jesus loves, and this is one of them. This is an attribute. This is an attitude that God loves to see in people. And what is it? He loves to see a cheerful giver. Why is that? Here's why. Because, see, God is love. You guys know that, right? Like, God doesn't just love. God is love. Like, love is not something He does. It's, it's who He is. And so because God loves, God gives. And so what happens is when God sees people being generous with their life, what he sees on display is his character, his nature, who he is on display for the world. 
See, this is, this is worth writing down if you're taking notes. We never, we never look more like God than when we give. The most you look like God is when you're generous with your life. And so as disciples, listen, that's what we're called to do, right? That's who we're called to be. We're disciples. We're not just wanting to learn what Jesus knew. We're wanting to be like who Jesus was. We want to say the kind of things he said. We want to think the way he thought. We want to live the way he lived. We want to do the kind of works that he did. And so listen, Jesus was generous. So we as his people should be generous. Now here's the thing about generosity you need to understand. Generosity takes intentionality. If you're going to be generous, you're going to have to be intentional to be generous. No one is generous by accident. It just doesn't happen. I've never once heard somebody tell a story where it was like, man, it's so crazy. I woke up the other day and something came over me. And the next thing I know, I was downtown feeding the homeless. <laughs> crazy deal. Like, you know, I've never heard anyone that comes back to our children's ministry and, you know, hear this story of, man, I just, the funniest thing keeps happening. Every week I wake up early Sunday morning and, uh, and I get up and I get dressed and I get myself ready and I show up to church early and, you know, the next thing I know, I'm in a nursery and I'm changing diapers and holding babies and it just keeps happening. It's so crazy. Like, no, that, that stuff happens because people are intentional. I've never heard anyone, sometimes I wish this would happen, but I've never heard anyone say, I was just walking by the offering box and $1,000 jumped out of my, my wallet into the offering box. Doesn't happen. Generosity doesn't happen by accident. It takes intentionality. You will not serve by accident. You will not give by accident. You will not share by accident. You have to be intentional. And so, you know, the call of God is to be generous. That's what it said. Each of you should give. Each one of us should be givers. There's a story in, uh, in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus is sending his disciples out to do ministry. This is before he's gone to the cross. He's kind of giving them a little bit of a practice run on going out and doing the work that they're supposed to be doing. And so he sends them out. And before he sends them out, he gives them some instructions on the kind of ministry that they're supposed to be doing. Look at this with me. Verse 7, it says, Jesus says, As you go... Proclaim this message. And so you know this is still the message that we're called to proclaim. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And if you've been a part of this series, you know we've been talking a lot about the kingdom, haven't we? Yeah. And the reason we're going to talk about the kingdom is because it was the number one subject Jesus talked about. Jesus talked more about the kingdom than any other thing. See, what happens is when you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, his kingdom rule and reign comes to live inside of you. But it ain't supposed to just stay there. It's supposed to be moved out of your life into the world around you. We're to invade the culture of this world with the kingdom of God that's alive inside of us and change the kingdom culture of this world to look like on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is a big deal. It's the kingdom of God, and it's supposed to come out of our life. And so what Jesus says next is what that's going to look like. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. That's kingdom stuff right there. Look at this last part. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. So here's the idea. You've received so much from God. You've received so much, we all have, through Jesus Christ. We've received so much, that, and, and we've received it all for free. We've had, we've, we, we serve such a generous God. He's been so generous to us. Our response to His generosity should be generosity. To, to, because of the lavishness of the generosity He's, 
He's shown on us. We need to lavish generosity on the world through him. That's the kind of life we should live. There's an amazing story about this kind of generosity in Luke chapter 7. We have this example of what it means to respond to this generosity of God. In verse 36, I'll read you a bunch of scripture here and then we'll break it down. It says this, verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now remember that. We're going to come back to that. Verse 38, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, now, or he said to himself. So, so this is not something he says out loud. This is something that he's just thinking in his mind. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Look at this next verse. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Baller move right there. <laughs> Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Verse 41, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Jesus said to him, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Verse 33, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom the, he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And, and some of these things that Jesus replies to Simon about and says, hey, you didn't do this, but she's doing this. You didn't do this, but she's doing this. These things that Simon didn't do were a slap in the face in the culture of the, the day. See, Simon didn't invite Jesus to his house to honor him. He invited Jesus to his house because he wanted to expose him. Verse 45, you, you didn't greet me with a kiss but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. This, this is the idea. She's, she recognizes the greatness of the forgiveness that she has received. And so her response to that is, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, in the story, we have these, these three players. We have Jesus, we have this Pharisee, Simon, and then we have this immoral woman. And this immoral woman, uh, many Bible scholars believe it was Mary Magdalene. If you know the story of Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And she had seven demons in her. So get this, guys. At one point in her life, she was a train wreck. Her life was a mess. Her life was totally off the rails. Things were bad. She was possessed. She was doing things that no one wants to do. Like, you, you think about it. Like, prostitution is not something that, that people just enter into. Normally, when a, when a woman enters into prostitution, it's because things have gone really poorly. Things are off. They don't have family. Like, there's been some stuff that has taken place, and that's her. Her life is a mess. Her life is a wreck. She has no dignity, no, no purpose, no future. And then Jesus shows up and everything changes. And I bet if I went around this room today, there's probably many of you in this room who have a story of then Jesus showed up 
and everything changes. Jesus shows up and everything changes. And so her response to this generosity that Jesus has given to her, he's freed her, he's given her purpose and a, and a hope for her future. Her response to that generosity is worship. But beyond just worship, she brings something to Jesus. Look back at verse 37. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, in Bible times, uh, the time of, of this story in the Bible, when a young girl got to marrying age, she was presented by her family an alabaster jar full of expensive perfume and oil. And it was a part of her dowry. And, and what would happen is when the little baby girl was born, the parents would begin to start saving and preparing for this because this was not just a flippant gift. Like this was a big deal. In fact, in today's economy, uh, this would cost somewhere between fifteen dollars and $30,000 what they were giving her. And so they would give this to her when she got to marrying age. And then when the right suitor came along and, and asked for her hand in marriage, if she accepted, she would go to him and she would take this alabaster jar and she would break it at his feet. And in doing so, what she was saying is, my hope, my future, my life is now all tied to you. I'm leaving behind my past. I'm leaving behind what I, what I knew before, and now I'm going to be with you. I'm connected with you. Everything I have is in you. You are the one I will follow from this day forward. Now, we don't really know what happened in Mary's life, but we know that her life went off the rails. And I'm sure there was some point in her life when that alabaster jar was just kind of put away. And it was kind of known by her, this will never be used in my life. And then Jesus came along. This suitor came along and he looked at her in, in the middle of her mess. He looked at her at her worst and he said, I'll have you. I'll take you. And he frees her. And her response to this suitor, Jesus, is to take that thing which represented the most valuable, precious thing she had in the world. It represented her hopes and her dreams and to break it at the feet of the suitor and say, now my life is attached to you. My hope is in you. My future is in you. My purpose is in you. I will follow you and give you my very best from this day forward. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Mary's response to the generosity of Jesus was generosity. And her response needs to be our response. Our response to God's generosity is generosity because whether you recognize it or not, you and I, we were like Mary. We were lost and we were bound and we had no future and no hope. And then Jesus came and he said, I'll take you. I'll choose you at your worst. In this moment, I'll choose you right now and I'll take you and I'll accept you. And our response to our generous God should be, God, whatever you want, I'm attached to you. I'm connected with you. My hope is in you. My future is in you. My life is in you. So whatever you want, you can have it all. Now, here's what's so amazing about this, this generosity. Like when we're generous with God, he's just more generous with us. <laughs> like he didn't have to be, but he is. Like it's amazing. And just so you know, like our, our, when we're generous with God, we're not initiating generosity. Right. <laughs> we're responding to generosity. We're responding to His generosity. But here's what happens. When we respond to the generosity of God with generosity, He responds to our generosity and responds to His generosity with more generosity. 
Like that's how good God is. That's why when, they, when you hear statements like you can't outgive God, it really is true. He won't let you. He won't let you. He's a good God. And He wants to bless you and take care of you. The Bible says this in Proverbs eleven twenty five. It says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be waters. The, the promise of God is when you're willing to be someone that the blessing of God can flow through you, God will bless you. He'll pour out on you. He'll give you more than enough and supply your needs so that you can supply through Him other people's needs. So I want to give you four practical ways to be intentionally generous, four areas that you need to be intentionally generous in because it takes intentionality, right? And so I want, to, I want to give you four different areas where I think we as the people of God need to purpose to be generous. Here's the first one. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your time. And I'm going to let you know. I'm going to poke at you a little bit over the next few minutes here. So just get ready. And again, if you don't like it, you don't have to see me for six days. We'll be good. We'll be good. All right? Psalms 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Be generous with your time. You know, time is interesting in that time is valuable, right? You guys with me this morning, New Song Church? Yeah. Time is, time is valuable, and it's precious, and it's a commodity that you cannot, like, make more of. Like, you, if you spend money, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. Once your time is spent, it's spent, and you can't get it back. We all have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and some of us have more years than others, and, and this is all we have. And so it's a precious Thing. It's not something that should be wasted. It's not something that you should not be killing your time, wasting your time. It needs to be invested. And it needs to be invested properly. And so according to God, here's what it needs to look like. You need to invest it generously in the right things, in the right people. Okay, so let me give you some areas. I'm poke at you a little bit. Are you generous with your time at work? Are you generous with your time at work? What does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like you show up early. You stay late. You say, well, Pastor Josh, nobody does that. We'll be generous. You say, well, my boss doesn't even do that. We'll be generous. Well, if my boss doesn't do it, then no one's even going to see it. God will see it. And God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so you, you, really, you realize that you don't just work for your boss. You work as under the Lord, right? And so when you do things God's way, He'll reward you. Whether your boss sees it or not, God will reward you. He'll promote you. And let me just tell you, He's the one you want promoting you. So be, be generous with your time at work. Don't just sit there, you know, and you got 30 minutes left and let's just kind of zone out and count down the clock. Like, work. Be, be valuable to your employ, employer. Be valuable to your employees. Be generous with your work. Be generous with your time at home. Be generous with your time with your spouse. Be generous with your, your time with your children. You know, I've heard it said before that children spell love, T-I-M-E. And they really do. Your, your children need time with you, like real time where you're really like looking into their eyes and connecting with them. I want to encourage you. You got a family. You got kids. You, you're, you're married. You got a family at home. You need to spend some time with them. You need to have dinner with your family. And I, now, and I, know, I know you can't maybe do this every night. I know people have different lifestyles, but a few nights a week, you need to be sitting down and having dinner and talking with your family and like turn, not, not dinner at the coffee table, dinner at the dinner table with the TV off with your phone put away. Listen, don't bring your Facebook friends to dinner. 
Don't bring your TikTok group to dinner. Don't invite them. Don't let your kids invite them. Put that stuff away. And, and be, be in the moment. Be present. Let's, like, let's be generous with our time. Let's give the best of our time. Be generous with your time at church. You know, I, I love that, that pe- when people serve here at the church, and when I talk about this, I know it's, you probably might be thinking, well, he's just trying to get more people to serve at church. Yes, I am. Because <laughs> I want to reach more people. That's right. but, but beyond that, I know how important it is for you. I love this morning, I, I went back before first service, I was just looking in at the kids' classes, and, and I, I walked into Boomtown, our, our elementary class, and I saw David Cromwell in there, and if you don't know David, he's one of our elders here at the church, he's a doctor, and he's in there with a referee jersey on and a flag in his pocket, and he's just loving on these kids, humbling himself, being willing to do what some people are not willing to do, but I love that. And I believe that he's blessed because he has a heart to say, you know what, this, this is important. And it's important. Listen, there's something about you, you, do it, you stepping out of the regular rat race and connecting yourself with the greater call of God through the bride of Christ and, and fulfilling some roles that you may say, well, this feels a little bit beneath me. Listen, I'm so glad that, that the cross was not beneath Jesus. I'm so grateful that he was willing to do what it took. Are you willing to have that same kind of attitude and be generous to do whatever it takes to build the kingdom of God in this earth? We need people. We need people to be willing to jump in a parking lot, to jump in a kid's class, to do these kind of things to help us to serve. And let me say one more. Be generous with your time with the Lord. You know, for you to be good at any of this other stuff, you've got to be generous with your time with the Lord. Are you giving the Lord time? Like, are you, are you turning off the, the radio in your car and... And connecting with the Lord. Are you, are you giving God good time? Like, good time. Not like, okay, time for bed. I'm exhausted. Let's try to read some Psalms 23. <sighs> no, no, no. Like, what's your, what's, what's your best time? And give some of that to the Lord. And He'll bless that. He'll bless the rest of your time when you do that. Be generous with your time. Here's number two. Be generous with encouragement. Be generous with encouragement. I love this verse. Acts 4.36 Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. There's this guy named Joseph, and he's such an encouraging dude that his friends are like, Joe, like, we gotta, we're changing your name, dude. You are so encouraging. You ain't Joe no more. We're changing your name. You're Barney now, Barnabas, because you are such an encourager. Like, I hope this is hitting you. Like, what if people did that with you? Instead of talking about you behind your back in a negative way, what if you were such an encourager that they actually had to rename you because of the way that you act? Like, I believe that's the kind of people God's called us to be. Listen, we live in a world that's very discouraging, isn't it? And, and, and there needs to be some people that are putting courage in. That's what it means. Encourage. Put courage into people. Because there's a lot of criticism in the world today. A lot of critics out there. And I was thinking about that this week. You know, it's funny, but criticism can hit so much harder than encouragement. You ever notice that? And I think one of the reasons why is because criticism a lot of times is so specific, while encouragement can be super vague. Like when people criticize us, it's specific. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you never do this, and you always do that. And you said this, and it made me feel this way. And you're, you, you know, it, they'll be specific. I mean, they will let you know in detail what you did that they don't like. And then someone will come along to encourage you, and they're like, hey, good job. 
What if we flipped the script on this? And what if we got specific with encouragement? I believe that God's called us to be people who really learn the art of specific encouragement, who are specific, who call out things in other people. And this is something that we practice in our, with our church staff. Once a month, we come together as a staff and we, we pray together. We do that every week, but once a t- month, month, we come together, we pray, and, and then we have a time where we do this thing called hat tips, where we tip our hat to people who've done things in the staff, and, and we call out things, and we talk specifically about things that people are doing and how it's affecting the church. This is important. I encourage you, practice this. Men, if you're married, listen, practice this. When your wife is like, hey, how do I look? Don't just be like, you look good. Let's go to Arby's. Go get some roast beef. I'm hungry. Get some Arby sauce. Horsey sauce. Get specific. How do you look? I'll tell you how you look. Let's start at the top and work our way down. You look fire is how you look. Your hair. What you been doing? You tease it? You tease your hair? Curling it? Vidal Sassoon? What's going on here? Paul Mitchell wishes he had that hair. What have you been doing? What's going on? Your eyebrows. Tweezed them? What? You draw those on? What's going on here? Are those your eyelashes? Or did some butterflies land on your eyes flapping at me right now? What's going on? Just start at the top. Work your way down. Guys, I'm telling you. Guys, listen. Hey, you'll, you'll thank me later. Get specific. Get specific. When your kids come up to you and they ask you stuff, they draw you a picture, and it's, it's terrible. Just look at it and be like, hey, that's... That's really good. This is like modern art you're doing here. I like it. It's an interesting take on this, the, the David and Goliath picture. It's cool. Whatever. They come up and dance. I remember my kids used to come up and want to show me like dance moves. <laughs> That's good. Like how you spun and then fell over. Good job. Right? But just be specific. Listen, the Bible says this. This is Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power and life and death. The stakes are high. You, you have the ability through what you say to either build and put courage in or, or, or to pull courage out. So let's be people who put courage in. Let's be generous with our encouragement. Here's number three. Be generous with honor. Be generous with honor. Romans 12, 2 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That, that word honor there in, in Bible times means to put weight on something. And, and the idea is, in Bible times, you know, when they would pay for things, the currency of the day was not like what we have today, you know, where we have, you know, paper dollars and we have quarters and every quarter is the exact same weight and same design. Their money, you know, it could be different sizes, different shapes, different weights. And so how they would pay for stuff is they would weigh their money. And the more weight, the more valuable. And so the idea here is that when you honor somebody, you're, you're, putting, you're putting weight to them. You're seeing them as valuable. You're not taking them, listen, you're not taking people lightly. That, that word honor in the Hebrew is the word havad. It means, it means to see the glory. See the glory in someone else. In other words, you, you maybe look past the mistakes that they make or their, their shortcomings and you, you see in them who God is in them. You call out the goodness of God within them. Do you, do you honor the people around you? Are you generous with your honor? Are you generous with your honor to your, to your spouse? Are you generous with your honor to your kids? You know, your kids need honor too. You want your kids to honor, you need to honor them. Like if you don't show them honor, how, how are they supposed to reflect honor? They're learning from you. 
So if you're not honoring to them, how are you expect them to be honoring to you? There's this story in Genesis chapter 9. It's wild. It's about Noah. You guys remember Noah? The ark dude? It's after the ark, and, and Noah's having a bad day. He grows some grapes, and then he turns those into wine, and then he gets drunk on his wine supply and ends up in his tent, passed out naked. This is like the most redneck story in the Bible. <laughs> it's like you hear about this, like Lake 10 killer, OSU alumni, caught in tent, <laughs> naked, drunk. I'm just messing with you, OSU people. Had a good win yesterday, by the way. Congrats on that. Enjoy that one. <laughs> but Noah's having a bad day. And so his son, Ham, which I love that. Ham? His son's name is Ham. Like, it just, the redneckness just keeps coming, doesn't it? Ham. This is my son, Ham. Noah brought Ham on the ark. Anyway. Ham sees his dad naked in his tent, and his response is, dude, you guys got to see this. Dad's neck. Now, let me just remind you something. If not for Noah, Ham drowns. It's the patriarch, Noah, that saved his life. And yet in this moment, he's not honoring the authority of his father in his life. And so he goes around telling everybody, hey, you got to see this. Dad having a bad day. He's naked in his tent. Come check it out, which is just like, who does this? And so two of the other brothers, they hear about this, and these guys are way more my style. They go back to the tent, and they avert their eyes from their, the nakedness of their father. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Write that down in your notes. Avert your eyes from the nakedness of your father. Something to remember. All right. But they walk into the tent. Sarah's shaking her head at me right now. They walk into their father's tent backwards so they don't see him in his naked, bad state, and they cover him. Now, what's interesting in this story is the Bible says, now listen, what Noah did was stupid and sinful and wrong. But the Bible doesn't say that Noah is judged for what he does. But it does say that Ham is judged for dishonoring his father. So here's the thing that you have to understand about life. In life, in relationships with people, if you're around people enough, you're going to see them on their worst days. And in those moments, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person who covers them or who exposes them? Now listen, I'm not saying if people are doing stuff that's wrong and sinful and immoral, abusive, any of that garbage, that you don't, you don't cover that. You don't, you don't do that. No, no. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is just in your normal relationships. What kind of person are you? Are you looking to cover or are you looking to expose? Are you looking to find fault or are you looking to help love people, and honor the authority that God's placed in your life. We need to be people of honor. You're going to see people at their worst. But God's called us to honor authority. And how you honor authority is important to the kind of blessing that can be released in your life. You remember the story of Jesus when he goes to his hometown? Remember what happens? He shows up in his hometown, and they don't honor him. They just see him as the carpenter's son. And so it says that, that he could do no mighty works there. It's funny, it says he could do no mighty works there except to heal a few people. Jesus is having a bad day. Only a few people got healed. Like, that's Jesus. But what, but, but what we see is that his ability to work in people's life was limited by the lack of authority. My question for you is, 
is, is God's ability to work in your life being limited because there's authority over you that you're not honoring the right way. We're called to be generous with our honor. Here's number four. Be generous with your finances. So here's the money part. Now stay with me. Here's what it really boils down to when it comes to your money or the money that you have. Let me say it like that. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The Bible makes this very clear. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. A bunch of cattle on a bunch of hills. He owns them all. The Bible says that the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, the world, and all it contains. So understand, if God owns everything, then anything that you have that you could brag about, that you could see as valuable, anything that you have, it doesn't belong to you. It really belongs to God. And you only have it because God allows you to have it, because God gave it to you. And so this is where that word stewardship comes into play. Stewardship says this. We live a life where we say, nothing is mine. It's all yours, God, and I am a manager. Yeah. You, I don't own it. You own it. I just manage what you've given me. Now, now think about this. If there's someone who's supplying, someone's your hookup, someone's your source, they're providing everything for you, and they come to you and they say, hey, I'd like for you to, to give a little bit of this back to me or to use some of this over here for this purpose, and you say, no, I don't want to do that. That's a bad look, just so you know. Let, let me illustrate kind of what that, that looks like so you get an understanding. There's an interesting dynamic that we have in my family that involves two players in my home. One is my daughter, Sunny. If you know Sunny, Sunny is seven years old, and, uh, and her name fits her perfectly. People ask us all the time, is that her nickname? And it's not. It's her real name. Like, God showed us her when, when Sarah was pregnant with her, and so we named her Sunny, and it fits her perfectly. She's blonde hair, blue-eyed, freckles. She's just a little ray of sunshine. In fact, my, my dad, uh, who's her grandfather, says this all the time, I don't think Sunny has sinned yet. He's wrong. <laughs> but I'm telling you, she's, she's like that Sunny. The other kids always get mad. They're like, she's just perfect. It, it ticks them off. But that's Sunny. So... So Sunny, she's super sweet, but there's one area you don't want to mess with Sunny in. That's her food. You mess with Sunny's food. Now, here's the thing. She's picky about her food. She doesn't like everything. She does, 90% of the food that we give to her, she hates it with everything in her. But that 10% that she loves, she loves it. And if you mess with it, it ain't good. And she's going to let you know about it. So that's one player. The other player in this scenario is my wife, Sarah. Something about Sarah that you might not know is that Sarah is a food thief. <laughs> She likes to steal food from other people's plates. And she intentionally orders less so that she can. Like, for example, for example, Sarah will not order French fries. She just won't do it in her vow. Won't do it. But that doesn't mean she's not intending to eat some French fries. It just means she's going to steal some French fries from you. I think, I don't know this for sure, I'm guessing at some point, probably later this afternoon, I'll be... I'll be, this will be explained to me. But I'm guessing what she's thinking is, I don't want to eat that many fries because they're not that good for me, and my family shouldn't be eating that many fries, so I'll just, I'll just eat their fries. And so she'll do this. And the person that she steals a lot of fries from is my daughter, Sunny. But Sunny loves her fries. And so there'll be this moment where Sarah's like reaching over to take a fry from Sunny, and Sunny will look at her like, I cannot believe the audacity of this person. 
you would try to pull something like this with me. And so Sarah would be like, hey, give me one of your fries. And she's like, no, it's okay. No, give me, give me one of your fries. And she's like, but these are mine. These are mine. So, so here's what happens. Here's the problem with this scenario. In this moment, Sunny's forgetting something. She's forgetting the source of her French fries. Sonny's forgetting that there, if there's no mom and dad, there's no French fries. She's forgetting that mom and dad have supplied her needs and met her needs over and over again throughout her life. All the things we've done for her. By the grace of God, she's got clothes on her back, food on the table, been provided for, been helped through life. All of that has come because of her parents. But in this moment, listen, in this moment, when she has something that she sees of great value, in this moment, she sees us, instead of seeing us for who we are, givers, she sees us as a taker. And she feels like we're someone she has to defend herself from instead of someone who's been giving her and blessing her and providing for her. This is what we can do sometimes. God owns everything. And everything we have, whether it's your bank account, your wisdom, your good looks, whatever you got that's worth value, you have it because God gave it to you. And so then God comes along and He says, hey, can I have some of that? I want to do this in the church. I want to do this in the world. Would you be willing to do this? And we say, no, it's okay. No, this, this is mine. You, you can have it all, but this. It's not a good look, is it? I want you to understand something about the nature of God. God didn't want to take anything from you. Actually, wait, let me correct that. God does want to take something from you. He wants to take sickness from you. He wants to take sin from you. He wants to take oppression from you, depression from you. He wants to take eternal life in hell. He wants to take that away from you. He'll take that stuff. But He don't want to take anything good from you. He's a giver. He wants to give to you. He wants to bless you. Jesus said it like this in, in Luke 12, verse 32. He says, Do not fear, little flock. Don't fear. You don't be afraid of God. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 10, 10, Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God's not trying to take anything from you. He wants to bless you and help you and give to you. He wants to do things in your life so that He can source things to you and source to people, other people He loves through you. So you can trust, trust God. And so here's the thing, money's important. I get it. Like we can look at our life and we like, man, money's this resource and it provides for me and it makes a way. And so it's easy for money to, to pull at our heart. And it's easy for money to become a God that we place in a position that it's not supposed to be in as a source. Money's not the source. God is your source. Money's a resource. So, so what God did to help us with this is He established a system that would help us to put money in its proper place and to put God in His proper place. It's called the tithe. And tithe literally means 10%. And, and it's all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, Jesus endorses the tithe in the New Testament. But, but probably the place that it's explained in the greatest detail is, is in the book of Malachi. In, in chapter 3, it says this in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's talking about the church that there may be food in my house. And it says, test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture where God tells you to test Him in something. He says, test me in this. Just see what I can do. Test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty. Almighty. You know, I love how he, 
he, he brings to attention, hey, who I am. I'm the Lord Almighty. Test the Lord Almighty in this and see if He will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to share it. I can tell you in my life, I'm so grateful. One of the greatest gifts my parents ever gave me in my life growing up is they taught me this principle early in life. So I've never, ever struggled with it because I got it as a child. I don't hear messages on generosity unless they're heretical. I don't hear them and go, oh, this hurts. This feels painful. I don't hear that because I got it. I understand. I've seen it. I've seen God move through this. I've seen the the, the windows of heaven open up and the, the blessing of God poured out over my life. I've seen it. So so here's what God says. He says, bring me the tithe. Here's what tithe means. It means tenth. It means that you give 10% of what comes in. The first 10%, it goes to God. Now listen, God is the source, right? So here's the deal. He's working out with you. I'll give you, you can do 90%, whatever you want. But that first 10%, I want you to bring it to me. And what God says, if you do that, I'll bless that 90%. And that 90% will go further. But if you don't, 100%, comes under a curse that's what it says in malachi chapter 3 verse 8 begin by being honest begin this is where you start begin by being honest to honest people rob god but you rob me day after day you ask how have we robbed you the tithe and the offering that's how and now you're under a curse the whole lot of you because you're robbing me now listen when the bible says you're under a curse it's not saying that god is cursing you god does not do that God doesn't curse you. Here's what happens. There's two kingdoms at play. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this earth. And when you don't do things God's way, you align yourself with the kingdom of the earth. And the kingdom of this earth is under a curse. And so when you align yourself with a kingdom that's under a curse, you align yourself with the curse and you come under the curse. It's not God curses you. Listen, you are cursing you because you're agreeing with the wrong kingdom. So God says this. He says, hey, you give me 90% or you keep, you give me 10%. I'll bless the 90 or you can keep 100% and it's under a curse. 90% blessed by God, 100% under a curse. I don't know about you, but this is an easy equation. And beyond this, this idea of, you know, the blessing of God being on my life, here's the thing. Here's what it really boils down to. At the end of the day, I was lost and now I'm found. I was bound and now I'm free. I was broken and he picked me up. And so now, whatever you want, I will take this alabaster jar and I will break it at your feet. I will pour out my absolute best and extravagant worship and love to you because you gave your best to me and anything less is not worthy of the God who gave me everything. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.